0: Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hi everyone, Peter Crosby, Executive Director of the Digital Shelf Institute here. Often, two of the tallest, roundest silos that manufacturers separate brand marketers from digital marketers. We know to win on the digital shelf, they can no longer be telling different stories. The brand experience needs to be infused into every interaction, every channel along the buyer's journey. And the scrappiness and accountability of channel marketers needs to inform the brand side. How do you break down these silos? We are honored to have our first official guest on this podcast be an executive who has been there and done that. Sona Shah, VP of Listen For It marketing and digital at Bosch Power Tools. Rob Gonzalez, co-founder and CMO at Salsify and I peppered him with questions about that. Here's that conversation. So Sonish, you've been at Dremel and Bosch for well over a decade. And and I have one very important question for you based on that, those years of experience.
1: How handy are you? Can you actually make anything? Um, (laughs) So, so Dremel and Bosch are manufacturers, and on some level, we're suppliers. So what I can tell you is that I'm very good at making sure all of my neighbors have Dremel and Bosch tools.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is it like my a lemonade God. stand? or your kids standing outside <laughs> selling tools? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, uh, but uh, from a personal perspective, I, I have such an affinity for folks that can work with their hands. Um, I think being in this role and being at the company for so long... My respect level for people that can build things have, uh, really skyrocketed. So I've definitely dabbled at trying to do a few things myself. Um, let's just say a certain parent was, uh, very influential in the victory of our, of my child, uh, Cub Scout, uh, um, <laughs> uh, whatchamacallit, the, uh, the Pinewood derby racing and yeah, that certain a, parent a, was your wife. Knee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 and, uh, I think that, uh, there's a theme here. And the other thing that we, I, I try to do things with the kids and we, uh, we also built one of those uh, little mini libraries out in the front lawn. I don't know if you've seen those. If you haven't. Yes. Yes. In, uh, yes like Las where States people can like
0: swap that. kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. yeah. So we really enjoyed building that. And so, uh, you know, uh, we don't come out of these projects unscathed. But, uh, we definitely, uh, we definitely enjoy, but no, uh, it's it's a it's a huge part of what I try to give back to the kids. And uh, we have some really handy local neighbors that help me out every time I'm in a gym.
0: Well, I remember I've had the chance to talk to you about you know how you feel about your customers, you know the the builders that buy your tools, and and I've heard you speak of the respect that you have for them, and and how important it is to for you to create brand stories that help them in what they do?
1: I'm in a unique place because I've been in a lot of tech and I also work at a power tool company. And a common thread that you see is what it takes to build something, right? So there's a lot of comparisons between building software and building buildings. Um, and you see a lot of the same levels of respect to folks that can architect something, that can design something, that can put their hands together and build something that can go through trial and error um, and 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 have knowledge, have deep knowledge about how to start something. And it's very fascinating. And I think one trend that we really see, while we see a lot of people in the software industry and, and kind of less and less people going into trades with young folks, you see this really massive shift into these careers where people can build stuff, though. And, and a big movement in the trades is around how do we get more young people interested in the trades? and a lot of that um surprisingly is um is not so different of a movement that happens in software engineering now and in development where you see a lot of these schools pop up that aren't traditional universities and um it's the same idea of trade school and uh, and 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 vocational internship and uh, i think it's really picking back up and you can make a great career as a as a tradesperson the same way you can make be a great career as a as a software developer so it's an interesting way that both worlds are coming together
2: to Yeah, and both, both worlds are actually, in the sense that they're building something out of complex parts, they're really similar. They're, I remember when I was first studying computer science in the late 90s, one of my favorite essays was comparing and contrasting building a major bridge in a city to a software engineering project and all the things that those two things had in common. And in in these days you see coders, whether it's in Boston or New York or San Francisco or Chicago or wherever they're located, people that program tend to also be very handy. They also tend to work with their hands in their spare time as much as possible. So the two worlds, two worlds are uh, actually a lot tighter aligned than I think most people appreciate. Um, So really appreciate you taking taking the time today to talk to us about your experience at Bosch, and in particular, the interesting way that the Bosch Power Tools group has combined digital and branding. One of the thing one of the things that we see, and mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to just start with like a quick story on my side. I was at an Amazon hackathon maybe three years ago, and John Denny, who was the head of e-commerce at Buy Brands, got up and told the story and how they they did a market mix model study where they found that Amazon advertising inclu- in improved sales of buy brands through CVS. And that was a really, really interesting study because it showed that if you're doing, you know, Amazon search advertising, you're actually helping your brand's visibility in general wherever they happen to transact. Now, at that same time, you, I think right around then, Bosch had already made the move where you had combined brand and digital under you as one executive. And it, it was the first time that I had ever seen that in the market, but it seemed to make makes so much sense. So the, the, the first question that, that I've got for you is, how did that happen? How did, they, how did the reasoning um, behind the scenes come to a point where they actually made that move before basically anybody else?
1: You know, sometimes uh, these things aren't as uh, well thought through as they may seem. Uh, and so maybe I'll, uh, as much as I can, uh, go behind the curtain on, on how we got here if you look at it now or if you look at it from the angle that you're talking about, um, it makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and kind of where brand marketing has already shifted to and then for CPG brands, like kind of where they see it going and the competencies you need, obviously you have a lot of those same competencies. Um, Maybe you've developed in your e-commerce channel team or in some other areas of your business already. Um, For us, it was a little bit more around, the idea, um, our we felt as though the brand marketing organization needed to really just change, and really the change wasn't around digital; it was around how do we just jumpstart it. And I think the leadership team was saying, um, let's look at our our our, our team of our, our next level of talent, and let's ask them, like, who, who do we think can kind of create some change? I think naturally that migrated towards areas that were already in a lot of change. Right, and so I said they, I think they just—I uh, don't think they used an actual dartboard, but they may as well have. And they kind of became
2: a well-manufactured um, dartboard. And,
0: I, and were you in the center,
1: or were you somewhere <laughs> off to the side? I'm Not sure. Uh, uh, but and I think when when they when, when we first started talking about it, I re, i can tell you for a fact that why I thought they were doing it, uh, or why I would have done it, uh, was very very different from some of the reasons they were telling. me all in all, I think the more important story is where we are kind of now and, um, and, and, and how that has really come together in a incredibly positive way. Um, and, and let me, let me start by just saying that, you know, it's common in large companies to group things together or for certain executives to, let's say, want other things under their control. And, I think especially if you're in a new area that's growing like e-commerce, it's very easy to say, you know what? I need control of supply chain. I need control of new product development. I need control of marketing. I need control of these things. And it's a very, uh, it's not that atypical of a conversation for an e-commerce executive start to have because of all the things that it touches. Yeah. Um, It it really wasn't around that uh, where I think we had the most value. For me, it was around how the teams brought a really diverse type of thinking to each other, where the real value came. And and I'll, I'll explain that with one really good example. Uh, the digital team and the e-commerce teams were really struggling with content, as all are, right? And they were kind of pointing fingers at the brand marketing team, right? Like, hey, you're not producing enough images, you're not producing enough you know, content that can go on the website, you're not producing enough that goes on ads, et cetera, et cetera. You, you don't know what you're doing. It was kind of a lot of finger-pointing. Um, and so, when the teams merged, as you can imagine, there was a, a lot of still very uh, conflicting attitudes towards what was easy to be called as old versus new, but rather it was more of a dichotomy of do we understand what each is trying to do? And this is the real world around silos is a lack of diversity of thinking in each group. So what what you started to find was conversations that would happen and a natural progression for brand marketers to start to think about digital channels as their main channels. And for the e-commerce teams to start looking at all the content that was being created. Uh, So here's a great example. In the beginning, it was a lot about make me content for an e-commerce page, make me content for an email. And now you have brand marketers challenging some of the digital folks saying, hey, why wouldn't you put influencer content on a product page? Like, huh. Yeah. Right? So uh, it's really neat to see the divergence of how diversity of thought actually created culture versus me saying I need to own these things and I'm going to start architecting what needs to go where.
0: Yeah. Rob, you often talk about like uh, George Clooney and the Nespresso ads and all over billboards and everywhere, but then you go to the product page and it's just a shot of the, of the stack of the box of, of Nespresso yeah, cups. The front so. of the
2: Nespresso, the bo- the back of the Nespresso, the top of the Nespresso, the bottom of the Nespresso. <laughs> um, Where's George I, I get, Clooney? I, yeah, George. Everyone wants to see George. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that's, that's, that's that, that totally makes sense. So the... I hadn't thought about it like that so if I'm if I'm putting my shoes myself in the shoes of a typical e-commerce uh, owner like a like a, the Amazon rep or the home depot.com rep or whatever at one at, uh, at a manufacturer I'm I'm mostly focus on listing management most of the time I'm mostly focused yeah. on, on getting my products up and getting them accurate and that's that's kind of it. Most of the tools that are out there that the retailers provide don't really help you with conversion optimization. So it's not like you're sitting there and trying to tweak for what's the best possible image and and things like that. Um, but part of that, part of what's missing there is they're not using the product detail pages. They're not using the experiences that they're driving mm-hmm. through email and so on and so forth as other touch points to tell the brand story. And so that's, the, I, had, I, had, I honestly, honestly, I had thought about the branding teams as being the ones that were more backwards in my mind. But the example that you've got is actually no, they, they have a more forward looking in some ways, point of view than some of the e-commerce mm-hmm. teams, because they're not just operational, they're looking at these as other touch points to tell a brand story. And that's, that's a new way of thinking for the e-com teams.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, some of it comes from most brand marketing teams that are um, at least in my space and have a strong history of doing like in-store merchandising. Right. And that in-store, like getting, getting them to understand that this is just another piece of in-store merchandising. You start to see like the wheels turning in their head. Like, Oh yeah, it's another touch point, but it's my most dynamic touch point because I can not just do it for um, once a year and it doesn't cost me two thousand stores and all this metal and um, and you know fairly traditional signage that I can't change ever. And and once you get kind of a brand team thinking about the opportunity of a new touch point, it and and a lot of it is also like that I think comes from top down. So I, I will take credit for stuff like that and say that has to come from the top down sometimes It's to push both teams to think about the other side in a way that they may not have recognized it. But I think once you open eyes to that, like a lot of the natural uh, world just starts happening and, and that's really neat. And But then you have a different layer of problem is, you know, you have retailers that may not be ready for some of that. Right. And then and, and trying to, Follow an Amazon's lead versus trying to chart their own path per se um, is something that we see quite often and now and who when are you willing to kind of take different types of content and put it out there and how are you going to do that? Those are great questions to challenge retailers with because they're also hungry for new ideas as well so we get we get to kind of bring that then to that level
2: yeah and there's so many different points of integration that I think with a lot of companies don't happen. One of the ones that you just mentioned is really interesting is the, the in-store merchandising experiences and, and the online merchandising experiences. And how do you, how do you connect those things and which do you even prioritize in terms of spending money? Um, For a lot of companies right now, that's a big conversation. I know the, P and G CMO a couple of weeks ago was on stage saying advertising is dead, you know, and they want to be they want to be spending less money on advertising and and more money in um, experiences related to the product, um, post sale and and so on and so forth. Have you seen without giving exact numbers, have you seen a shift in the way that the teams think about and prioritize brand marketing spend versus trade marketing spend or even even advertising spend versus experience and support spend and things like that? Um, since, since the functions have been merged under the, under one leader?
1: It's a great question. Uh, I can tell you that I'd say about seven years ago, uh, five to seven years ago, I I was on this big internal push to, um, say that organizationally we got to start shifting our dollars. We used to say it's a lot from offline to online. That's what we used to say. And, you know, after a year or two of like constantly making this, um, yelling this through a megaphone and not having anyone disagree with me, I realized that that really wasn't the problem. Um, that it, the, what it wasn't about offer online as much as it was about what you're saying, which is trade spend versus what we call direct to user spend. Right. So, and, and this, is so much more difficult to shift. Yeah. It, it isn't always the choice of the manufacturer. There is a significant cost of doing business with some of the retail partners that are out there. And, and for rightful reasons, uh, there's a massive amount of scale that comes with some of these retail partners. And our job right now is uh, we've made some progress in making that shift. And I think ultimately, and there's a lot of alignment here between manufacturers and retailers. I mean, there's not one retailer out there who's not talking to brands and saying, get people to come into my store to buy your product. That's all I want from you, right? And, no. and that's what we want as well. And the question is, what's the best way to allocate those funds? Is it to maximize trade spend or is it to maximize your own marketing vehicle to have that happen, right? And to build your brand. And, and, the, and that mix that you talk about is such an important question for every um, budget owner in this space, because if you have full control of that, your job is to really allocate those resources properly. Now, a little bit of insight in terms of how we're thinking about this is we're very fortunate to be executing marketing um, in today's day and age, because we can create a lot of authentic and organic content um, without spending a ton of money. And we also have the vehicles by which to get that to our users. right? We're not happy with the size of our audience that's direct, but we think that, that it's grown in a, such a significant way. And I'm talking about channels like social. I'm talking about channels like web and email, things that we own and things that we can engage in. And our job right now is to build so much creativity and engagement on that channel. Um, and by default, what happens there is we we show... I don't want to call. I don't want to be so naive as it return on investment. We show a high level of engagement and excitement around the brand, and then we can use various metrics to understand what's happening with that. In terms of, is, do we see a lift over here? Do we see a lift over there? And it, at least in one example over the last year, that's given us enough momentum to go back to a retail partner and talk about how to best allocate the mix together. And in, what, in, in that particular case, we took some of those dollars and we shifted it back to our own budget where we were doing direct versus giving it to the retail partner and traditional tradesmen. So big victory for us. The The net outcome was positive for the retailer as well, but it, um, it wasn't the easiest. Uh, it would not have worked if I just went in and said, hey, we want to make this shift.
2: Yeah, in, in particular, I got to imagine right now... With all the focus on Amazon's advertising engine and the margin that it mm-hmm. gives Amazon to play with, in particular, um, that that's a hard conversation to have with any, any retailer. I mean, what Walmart, all these guys are trying mm-hmm. to, to ramp up their online advertising so that they can capture more of the uh, the margin coming out of, coming out of um, their their supply base. Um, so it's actually it's it's also interesting the 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 investment in the direct relationships. We we there was um in Boston, there was an investor event about a year ago that was hosted by underscore, and there was a panel of three manufacturing CMOs um, on the uh as as one of the events during the day um that was that was in the in the main stage. And they were asked the question if you could spend on any one project, if you could drop anything that you're doing and just do one thing, what's the one thing that that you would do? And every single one of them said something to do with CRM. Every single one of them said mm-hmm. we need to own the relationship with the customer directly as much as we possibly can because the data is so important. Whereas in the past, you know, it, it was just like a side gig for them. You know, you always sold you sold through Walmart or Home Depot or Lowe's or whomever, and you didn't you had limited direct relationships with the end user. Um, and so you guys, you guys are very much taking at least a part of that approach seriously where you, where it sounds like you're investing in deeply in a couple specific channels where you're directly engaging with the end users of Bosch products and trying to build those relationships and whatnot. Are, how are you um, thinking about that investment as compared to more of the broad-based marketing campaigns on, on uh, television or, or in national uh, retail distribution?
1: So uh, we... We prioritize that as let's say it's our number one priority from an energy perspective. If I could break down our marketing team from an energy perspective, yeah, right. That's an interesting. Budgetary one, right? <laughs> is that right? a line yeah, item? Yeah, <laughs> it may not be our number one. Yeah, <laughs> it may not be our number one from a budget perspective. Uh, and, and so let me let me give you some uh, insight to that. So, you know. At a high level, my team is broken down into um, this direct-to-user and, um, and and via customers, right? There's a lot more to it, but let's just say those are the two main areas where my team operates. And you could break that down into folks that work in a CRM and work with users and work with customers as trade spend, right? So it's another way to look at it. Yeah. Um, while my money may be more in trade spend, my people are all more on the user. Yeah, and, and it goes back to something I was saying around the opportunity to create content, the opportunity to create organic content, the opportunity to listen to users, to respond to users. That's the big change, I think, that digital has given marketing teams is we know so much more now as long as we're willing to put content out directly to them. And content to me isn't just obviously a picture of a tool, right? We're talking, um, you know, we get to be on job sites with a Bosch brand all day long. Right. And, and the Dremel brand has such an opportunity all the time with makers to really engage from a project perspective as well. And so channels like social and things like Instagram are just phenomenally important to our industry. Um, but we feel like. That becomes the core of not only how we put information and content out there, but also how we learn more about what it is people want.
0: It must also be a differentiator for you. It, you know, I'm sure in a world of private brands and a lot of competition, those relationships you're creating are, I would imagine, are loyalty. Is that is that what you're seeing?
1: We um, we, we really believe so. Now, the challenge with this is that it's very... Um, what, when you know, you can dig yourself into a, like for those in any kind of social media world, like you can dig yourself into these really strange worlds where all you're hearing is people that love you. Right. <laughs> I mean, the algorithms are real. Yeah. And so, uh, one of the things that we worry about also is that as we, um, put ourselves out there, like then we tend to be in this echo chamber of positivity around Bosch. And so we have to also step out of it and make sure that we're trying to see the world, um, as maybe a, a non Bosch person would see it as well. <laughs> but absolutely, yes, we do see it as a huge opportunity and, and, and we've seen a, a real return on being able to brand build this channel. And and how
0: you know what what can you tell us about how you are able to incorporate the data coming back, the learnings, the language that you you hear being used about your products. Do they do do those learnings make their way back onto the other side? of your team, does it get sort of fed back into what you're
1: saying on retailer channels? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I'll give you, uh, I can't give you specific uh, sure. from an example perspective, I can give you a high level example, I think of that uh, you and the, the audience will easily really understand. Um, you know, it's not uncommon that uh, the, the single day deal concept is, is, is a fairly large one. And um, across retailers, right? Like everyone tries to do their, their version of deal of the day. And we, at first, it was never really asked of us that we kind of promote deals outside of the channels that our retailers already have. And then we started doing it organically a little bit. And to a tee, every retailer talks about the volume that comes from our channel um, and how they can measure that. And so it's almost an expectation now in certain cases where, if we are going to run some kind of promotion, that we are also promoting it on our own channel direct. And that's a huge thing when you're dealing with super large retailers like we are, that they acknowledge our audience, and they're acknowledging the fact that our audience plays a role in driving their business. And that's a very, I would not have been able to say that 10 years ago uh, by any great means. And all I would have had at my disposal was television um, and running some kind of random analysis to show that my television ad created value as a retail partner.
2: One of the things that's got to be hard, though, if I'm thinking about Bosch specifically, but I, this applies to a lot of big companies. I mean, Bosch is you know, getting pretty close to $100 billion in revenue. I mean, it's just a, it's just a massive company. You guys have several audiences that are pretty distinct, like Dremel as a brand is really targeted at the makers, but then you've got, a lot of pro products that are targeted at contractors and they speak different languages. They hang out in different places. They're working in different projects. I got to imagine that the there are little clusters of folks in the social media sphere that aggregate are there. They've got to be different groups, right? So just yeah. when you, when you're allocating energy there, you've got to somehow allocate it across different audiences, right? So do, do you think about those as different branding exercises uh, entirely mm-hmm. or, or? Yeah,
1: I mean, absolutely. We, we separate our brand marketing teams by brand very deeply. Um, so while the, the Bosch brand team um, definitely has some level of collaboration with the Drumble brand team, they, they operate um, holistically and in, holistically independently. They may use some of the same toolkits. They may have some areas that are shared, but um, there is zero times when a marketer who is um, trying to target our professional is also going on and logging into jumbled Instagram. No. They are 100% separate. And, and that's for good purpose. I mean, we expect our marketers to be really, really in tune with users. And we expect them to be um, listening, engaging, and fundamentally understanding uh, not only the issues, but the lingo, the conversation, and what it is that on the Bosch side, at least, what, what, what pros are looking to do when they're on various um, touch points. And it, we have to know that. And we don't really want to have shared teams doing that across brands. Or even, um, you know, a more relevant question for us, uh, at least uh, like on the Bosch side, is that you have folks that will, um, let's say, you know, the advanced DIYer, we'll call them, or someone who works out of their garage or woodworkers, right? But generally someone who's independent and buys their own tool. You know, versus someone, um, you know, a, a construction company who's building a, a 75-story building in, in downtown Boston, it's a very different type of purchase behavior, a very different type of engagement with the brand it's a b2b sale versus a b2c sale in many ways. And so that's really an area that we're learning now how do we want to separate the brand activities between how we go to market with uh, with construction company users and then also with the independent. Users. That makes
2: a ton of sense. I mean, when I if I think about effective marketing, this is I mean this is this is just like a truism that everyone's saying these days. So not not great insight coming here, but the more personal and specific a message can be, the the more it's gonna land and with right. so with social media and with you know your array of brands and products, you have a lot of very specific targeted opportunities to connect with people and it's just it's a matter of energy deployment as to wh- what you're gonna do in which order on on which which teams and and uh, and and who's funding it and whatnot. um I mean, I still see a lot of companies that are out there that don't take that level of specificity that aren't really trying to do the, do the hard targeting and that are instead just, you know, shouting a brand message like they've kind of always done. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and Uh so I'm
0: really interested in understanding the, as you've merged this over the past seven years or whatever it's been, the, how has your to the degree you can share, when you think about sort of the high level ways in which your go to market process and the time it takes and sort of what the collaborations are, what are the shifts that you've seen by the, by virtue of combining these teams?
1: That's a good question. And I can talk um, a little bit about us and, you know, I hope that it it, it, um, it resonates with some of the, the listeners out there um, in various different companies and structures, but we our marketing organization at one point was considered more of like an in-house agency. And they, at one point we were even like had an internal ticketing system, right? So, uh, you know, someone would go and say, Hey, I need X created from you and they would create it. And, um, and we had brand standards and we had a lot of guidelines. We had a a lot of approaches around this. It wasn't uh, like a factory, but, um, we weren't really driving the brand and I think it took the idea of the idea of Amazon is such a, such an interesting thing to to watch how companies understand it. And I think when we first started on Amazon, we really started to see that we could finally influence user choice. And we, if we drove things the way we needed to drive things ourselves, like it was kind of all in our hands, maybe for the first time we felt that way as a brand manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And that creates a certain sense of ego around your abilities, right? Like there's not uncommon that like an Amazon key account manager or like a the salesperson feels like they're the ones driving the business, right? Like in a different way than maybe a traditional uh, salesperson feels like they may be. Cause it takes the, you know, and, when you kind of have that and then you have folks that really understand digital really well, where they're also seeing like this direct impact of everything they're doing. Hey, I made this change in the website and I saw this happen. I sent out, I I did these ads on paid search and I saw this happen. And you start to bring that culture of we're supposed to be driving everything. And you start to bring that to a team where they were doing work for others to then impact the market. And I think that was a huge shift about, how you as an independent person within a large company can make an impact outside.
0: That must change and who you hire, really cool. right? That must change yeah, how you hire. And also I would imagine the attractiveness of Bosch as a place to work for a marketer.
1: Well, even within the organization, the attractiveness of coming to that team. Yeah. Um, at Bosch, we are notoriously, and this is in a good way of, Putting people onto teams that may not have deserved to be there otherwise. Right? So their resumes may not have said MBA in marketing, you know, classically trained marketer at a CPG company, okay, come in and be a, a, a you know, a, a brand manager in, in Bosch. Like that that would be pretty typical. Whereas we'll say, Oh, you were in sales, but we really like your attitude. You're ready for marketing. Yeah. And and we do that all the time.
0: So much of it is is empathy. Uh, you know I, I, I mm-hmm. obviously do marketing every day and 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 that's really it if, if you can find people who can articulate with the difference that they make and the pains that that the the end consumer is feeling in the work that they do then the rest is kind of um, process
2: well y- yeah but the the interesting bit about online though it, and we're, we're actually the that that Bosch behavior might be especially good is the industry is under so much flux right now. I mean, this is this is online, offline, the the whole retail environment, the distribution environment, everything. The way that consumers interact with brands and five brands, like everything is just so in flux that a specific experience is is kind of less relevant than it might have been in the past, right? Cuz you kind of you don't know what the job mm-hmm. is going to look like a year from now. So the the soft skills totally right. of, you know, fearlessness and creativity and the ability to fail without it like destroying your sense of self and like all of those kind of softer things (laughs) matter in a way that they, that they didn't when things were more predictable. Right.
1: And we learned a lot of that from watching companies like yours, to be honest with you guys, like we, we see that ability in so many startups where you can bring people in with various backgrounds and they all have a certain level of, you know, the the attitude they share, the values they share are so common that they can work together regardless. And they're willing to accept someone else's idea, even though they may not be classically trained in that way. Um, Don't get me wrong. We have really good skilled people in certain areas where you just can't live without that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But when it comes to those folks, we have three really cool roles we call storytellers and, 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 and to be a storyteller in our organization, it is a lot about attitude. It is a lot about how you're willing to understand your user and how you're willing to communicate to them. And it has very little to do with how much you understand about persona building or where you may have understood your ability to do deep research on a, on a given topic, but rather about are you willing to put on um, work boots, get out to job sites, watch, learn, and then come back and say, why don't we try this? Why don't we try that? Exactly what you're saying, Rob. Like we have a, a really strong sense of go ahead and try it. Um, and if it, you know, I would advise any of the listeners to go check out Bosch tools Instagram feed and you'll see all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> I'm not gonna say that there's a necessarily this like perfectly crafted story, but you're gonna see it. You're gonna see an evolution of, we saw that work. Okay, we're gonna kind of do that again in a different way that one may not have worked as well, why not? And so one of the key things that we've really um, owned here uh, across both teams is uh, what we call agile marketing. Mm-hmm. And you've probably seen or heard about this a lot and we really started to embrace processes around um, around how we bring agile to life from a marketing perspective. And it's been um, really revolutionary for us as a team.
2: Yeah, it's a very different way of operating than, than most of the big companies out there. I mean, uh, One of the one of the best lines that encapsulates that um, is from I'm going to quote an employee from Mars Corporation says it's you want to be directionally right. You don't have to be specifically right. You don't you know, it's fine to, to make mistakes today. You just have to be directionally right in everything that you do. And and that's how you grow marketing greatness today. Um, and that takes leadership. Right.
0: I mean, that takes someone like you, Sonish, that, that gives permission for that and, and provides the guardrails and lets people loose. And I I know that, it, you know, I remember when I first came to to Salsify, I the first thing I did was spend the first three weeks on the phone talking to brand manufacturer customers. That's all I did. And what I discovered, and you talked about it earlier in sort of the kinship between the software and the the digital worlds, you find out that the that the people who are running the digital efforts at a lot of these brand manufacturers are those entrepreneurial mindsets. And that mm-hmm. take it does take that courage. And it's not that's nothing against the the traditional uh, brick and mortar processes that have gotten your companies where they where they are today. It's finding it's having sort of the courage to to lean towards that agile way of working because the digital experiences demand it, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And 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 also, I think you have. You know, we're really fortunate in large companies that we have um, a wide variety of skill sets. We're constantly going through an evolution of people. We have a lot of resources, and um, what, what what's really fascinating for me is that you're really right. Some of it is just about unleashing it and it sounds very um, typical or, or almost naive that that's the hard part, but it is actually very difficult to to get people to realize that they can do something different when they've been kind of taught and molded to do things in a certain way. And it has brought them some level of success. And, um, and, and you can't walk into a new scenario and, just proclaim everything's going to now be different. No one really appreciates that. (laughs) Uh, Rather what it is, is kind of giving them opportunities to, um, you know, it's who you celebrate. It's what you celebrate Mm -hmm. as a team. It's what you, um, it's what you pat people on the back for and people notice this and it, it takes some time, but if you're consistent about what it is you're trying to create and and you know that uh, you can start to, let that naturally form versus like putting a slide up saying time to be different, we're gonna go. Everyone will see you, we'll see you next week for the team meeting. Let me know what happened. Right.
0: <laughs> well I think celebration is a great way to to close out the podcast because I do think that so much of innovating in this world does require that ability to, to stop and say, wow, look at what we've done. Cause it can be so headlong all the time and making changes. you you made a fundamental organizational change and you kind of bet the farm on it and it's paying off cause you, you, you count on your people. And, and that's, that's, I think really impressive, you know uh, whether you're, you know, building a company or you're uh, building a, a library outside of your house with your kids. <laughs> Sonish, thank you so much for coming on and sharing that journey that you've been on with us. Uh, we, we really, it's incredibly valuable to hear it. It's incredibly inspiring. And I, and I know it will be valuable for our listeners. So we really appreciate you making the time.
1: Happy to be here as always guys. Um, I think you guys are also thinking quite out of the box by, uh, by, by, by trying really new ways to reach, uh, um, reach folks and i'm always proud and and very curious to what you guys are always up to so uh, thanks for having me and i look forward to 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 seeing what's next
0: well that's it for today's podcast what does your structure look like how do you motivate your teams got a different point of view come to the digital shelf institute's linkedin page or tweet at us at win digital shelf thanks for
1: being part of our community